Presenting sponsor for today's episode here, that podcast ground is Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome in, everybody, to HTPG, Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you. What's going on, Jay? Hey, this could be podcast one of two today. It's, yes. it's trade deadline day. You never know. We're just going ahead and putting this one in the in the old tank for you guys because I I would say I don't expect anything to happen. If something does happen, we will fire off the old emergency pod. We can use the old emergency pod sounders that we have. I know we have those, maybe still in our still in our archives somewhere. Uh, but we will fire those off for you if needed. I would say more than likely will not be necessary. So we just wanted to go ahead and get it out of the way because let's let's be honest, Jay, we got stuff to do. Yeah, we do. It's, it's, it, we, I need to vote. And I'm getting a haircut today, and I have a concert tonight. So please, Bengals, don't make a move. <laughs> Throwing a trip to Arby's, and you hit the Jay Morrison bingo. There we go. <laughs> uh, so we 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 uh, will get to trade deadline tonight if necessary, but more than likely, I would su- suspect we will not see a move. It, I mean, every time we have brought this up with Zach Taylor, there's been some nature of you guys make too big a deal out of this trade deadline stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of, he said that in so many words that almost every time we've brought it up, uh, it's always, this is no different than any other week. You look at the waiver wires, you look at the options, uh, Jay, as you know, and Jay's always got stats, this stuff doesn't happen very often. No. And especially what everybody's expecting slash hoping for this year they the Bengals have only made five in-season trades in franchise history and only two since 1985 and they've they've all been for picks except last year when they got rid of Carlos Dunlap they got BJ Finney um that's the only time they've acquired a player in season and that's but that's between the week one opener and the week 16, 14, 17, whatever the season is, finale. They've they've made trades right before the season opener for players. Christian Covington comes to mind. But as far as once the regular season starts to when it ends, last year grabbing B.J. Finney, that's the only time they've grabbed a player in season on a trade. And really, they haven't traded for anything other than addition by subtraction since the mid-'80s. Yeah, it was so. I mentioned that the BJ Finney one. Then you've got Carson Palmer in, in twenty eleven. Then that was for two picks. Ended up pretty a great deal for the Bengals. You got to go all the way back to eighty five for that. They traded tight end Dan Ross for an undisclosed draft pick. It ended up being a quarterback named Doug Gaynor. The big one was eighty four. They traded Ricky Hundley, a disgruntled linebacker, for three picks, and those three picks ended up being wide receiver Tim McGee, safety David Fulcher, and then a punter. Um, Greg Horn. So that, that ended up being a pretty good deal. And then you then you go back before that, all the way to 1970, they traded an offensive lineman, Greg Middendorf, for a pick. Um, and that pick ended up being a defensive end named Arthur May that never made the roster. Now, there's there's one of – if you guys – if you want some – I don't even know if you could do this as bar trivia, but the first trade in Bengals history was the day after Christmas in 1967, before they even started – as an official franchise. I mean, they were awarded, but they hadn't started playing yet. 
Um, and they they traded two picks away for a quarterback, John Stofa. I mean, if you're starting a team, you need a quarterback. So they they trade two picks away, number 27 and number 54 uh, to the Dolphins. The guy that ended up being picked number 27 is the big, biggest Bengals trade fan of all time. The Dolphins used tw- pick 27 for Doug Cruzen, an offensive lineman who was their starting left tackle on the 1972 undefeated season. Uh, he, he very easily could have started his career in Cincinnati, and instead he winds up in Miami. Decent career, seven seasons, 82 games, and a Super Bowl title. I wouldn't call that bar trivia, Jay. That'd be nursing home trivia, probably. You know, <laughs> You're right. I think there's old people in bars. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they're still going to bars if they remember distinctly that time. Um, but you know, I, I kid. But uh, you know, it's funny that the thing you mentioned: Ricky Hunley disgruntled, Carson Palmer disgruntled, Carlos mm. Dunlap disgruntled. I don't know enough about Greg Middendorf's 1970 season to tell you if he was disgruntled or not, or even Dan Ross. But I'm gonna guess maybe they were a little bit disgruntled because it seems. Seems to be the common theme in only times the Bengals make these deals. Now, they have changed recently. They've also never spent in free agency like they have the last two years. So maybe they do something completely outside of their nature as they have the last two years and make some sort of deal feeling like they're on top of it. Again, I do not anticipate that happening. If it does, I will be on here as saying, wow, we are surprised by this move uh, on our emergency pod tonight. But Barring that, uh, let's let's move on. We've got a lot to get to. We want to focus on the defense. There's a lot of talk about the defense, understandable after the, their first really bad outing of the year against Mike White and the New York Jets. There's questions about the lack of adjustments. There's questions about tackling. There's questions about how could this happen. Um, and there's and then I think there's one really big question that we have to ask that I'm going to open this up asking what we do. Uh, we're, of course, going to talk to Mo Egger. Uh, and about his tweets, uh, of which there were a couple, including a key moment in this game that uh, against the Jets that probably is overlooked and an important aspect of you know the way you look at games the Bengals will play against teams they should beat going forward. Um, and also, Jay makes uh, an admittance that I don't know if we're going to have to edit out or not, or if we're <laughs> going to have to like get legal involved. Um, and so <laughs> after that, um, I. I want to talk a little bit about the offense and the adjustment that we finally saw to Jamar Chase's breakout that we've been talking about and what that meant. Uh, I we might if we have time, I'd like to touch on the state of the AFC uh, and beyond just saying jumbled mess. I think there's a lot to dive into there. We've got some run passer boot fun uh, to get to, including one from a uh, reader submitted run passer boot that I'm excited to go into. Results from our two run passer boots last week. Uh, a Bengals growler bet uh, that did go sideways but had an interesting result. Uh, All that and more to get to. And, of course, we'll have the walkout for you on Thursday. We'll focus much more on the game against the Browns, a massive game as the Bengals approach the bye week trying to go 6-3 and and start 3-0 and in the division. We'll talk to Zach Jackson uh, up in Cleveland for that, which is always a good time. Let's start here with the defense, Jay, and I want to ask one question to kick this off. Was Sunday a blip or the beginning of a trend? I'm not really sure. I I think, you know, it it looks so much like past defenses were were guys, wide receivers, not so much tight ends this time, but the the Bengals have had trouble in the past defending the middle of the field and those, those short passes 
exploit linebacker play and, and go for more yards than they should. And that's what that looked like. What was has that not been an issue this year because teams haven't tried it? Because teams, you know, you come into a season and and you you want to do your own thing, and now maybe this turns into a return to the template. You could easily see the Browns doing the same thing that the Jets did with with their personnel and attacking the Bengals in the middle of the field. But I, I tend to lead lean toward it being a blip, just because so much of it was about the missed tackles and and I had in my story uh, 292 yards after the catch for the Jets is the most in the league since 2014 is tied for the second most since 2000 since they started tracking that um it the tackling's been really good this year it, it's hard to say why it wasn't on, on on Sunday if it his technique, if it was just a guy's step slow to rally, you know, sometimes you, you, one guy misses a tackle, but another guy's right there to bring him down and it doesn't end up being a, a missed tackle in the stat. Um, I, I think they're, the personnel is good enough to, to, to have faith that, that that was a blip. I do think we're going to see teams try to mimic it, especially the Browns who have the perfect personnel to do it, but I'd, I'd be, I'd be more surprised to see it continue um, just based on how much they've improved th- this defense and the fact that it's just a total wild card. Everybody thinks playing a, a, a new quarterback who's making his first NFL start, you're just going to throw the kitchen sink at him and confuse him. There's a wild card element that comes to that. And it, I, I just think it all that lines up to make it seem like it was more of an aberration than something that's going to continue the rest of the year. And when you look at the overall pie here, you have eight pieces of evidence. Seven of them suggest this defense is pretty good. And one of them says maybe they're not. I will go with the seven, but I will say this. I do think there's a figuring out element that's go- that was going to happen with this defense because you talk about the backup quarterback being new. This defense was so new. Mm-hmm. People early in the season didn't know to expect – their defensive line to be this good. Maybe they underrated what this defensive line would be able to do. They didn't understand that throwing at Cheeto Bayouzier might not be a great idea, or that the linebackers would be better, or, or or didn't have enough tape to see where maybe the deficiencies lie, or somebody had not been smart enough to figure it out and exploit it. And, and maybe the Jets and a very intelligent offensive staff did, and it was, and you got to credit them to a certain. Respect. You say, you know, what was interesting to me, and I'm going to bring you Luana Rumo audio here in a second, is how many times, and this, I'm only, what I'm bringing you is only five minutes of about, I think it would be about a 13 minute, 15 minute conversation with Lou, maybe more. Hmm. And how many times missed tackles were mentioned? And yes, there were a ton. There were 15 of them. Uh, that was amongst one of the worst performances by any team this year. But it, if you look at missed tackle percentage, you know, because they basically have threw so many passes, through so have put them in so many opportunities where they had to tackle in space that there was a ton of tackles in general. I, I tweeted this yesterday, and you had it in in your final thoughts, which I highly recommend you go read the whole thing. There's a ton of great stuff in there. Um but the one that stuck out to me was I had to I wanted to go through and and just see for myself not just the missed tackles via PFF, 
but the percentage of the total and, and see if, how bad it was. And an interesting thing popped up. And that was, let me just run through these numbers for you. The three worst games for missed tackle percentage by the Bengals this year were the Bears at 17.2, the Packers at 17.1, and the Jets at 17%. Did those three games have anything in common? <laughs> the, the three in losses, for those that don't remember. The rest are all basically... 12, 13, or less down to below, down to single digits against the Jaguars. I mean, for the most part, that's a significant difference. And it's a common thread that the teams that have been able to Bengals, beat the Bengals have been able to exploit this. So, are teams going to continue to try to exploit this with short passes and forcing the Bengals to make tackles in space and see if they can do it? You better believe it. And I think it's gonna it, it could be a real defining thing with whether how we answer this blip versus trend question. Because I don't while we've talked about how good they've tackled, have they? In three games they haven't. And they, you know what I mean? And so what are we talking about there? You are a thing that they, they do need to work on a little bit. Yeah, that when you tweeted that out, it kind of surprised me because I didn't remember the tackling being that bad at Chicago. It was it was more on the offense and the the four the three straight interceptions four straight possessions with turnovers but that's where tackle miss tackle percentage comes in where it's you know that you could say one of their worst in terms of total tackle total miss tackles was Green Bay but yeah that's an overtime game um, so there's there's a chance to have more but that's where the percentage is so important and it was not just the theme of of the three highest being the losses but those three games within 0.2 of each other in terms of percentage, 17.0, 17.1, 17.2. That's a theme. That is, that it, that is telling. And like I said earlier, you got the Browns that can exploit the middle of the field. And then after the buy, Oh, by the way, a tight end named Darren Waller who can beat you deep or who can beat you underneath and is a big, big tight end that can work the middle of the field and is very hard to bring down. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we will see very quickly if this is a trend or if it's a blip. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. I want to get to the Browns and their screen game as the as the, the kind of a key piece to seeing what Sunday looks like as far as getting better at this in a second. But first, I want to bring you Luan Arumo talking about the scheme that was used on Sunday and some of the issues at play, and, and even some some screen questions in there, and then we'll discuss that coming out of it. Um, I also want to point out, uh, shout out to Bengals Social, which I thought one of their best ones all year. They we were everyone was joking like, does Jamar Chase need a second locker for all these trophies and belts <laughs> and things he's getting? And they had a tweet where they literally used the mic cart uh, and rolled it in front of his locker with all the belts and trophies that he's won this year and included the audio <laughs> of the squeakiness of the cart as part of it. And some people tweeted then to me, oh my God, they must have, they probably missed the episode where we talked about how we were going to do it as the sounder and talk to Mo about it and the whole mic cart thing just then realized that that was why we had the squeaky cart sounder here uh, in and out of our interview. So I, anybody that got the the delayed reaction of the running joke that we have going on, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy this from Lou Anarumo and the squeaky cart. 
Lou, looking back on it, was there was there anything where you see you could have adjusted to all the the underneath stuff, or is that just a matter of them executing it well and you guys just not getting the guy down soon enough? Well, I, yeah, I think you know. Obviously, you always look back and you know say that you could have maybe done a few things different. That certainly goes for for me as well as the guys, but uh, as well as the players. But uh, you know, we had a mix of. You know, zone, man, blitz, you know, we, we called a bunch of different things. So it wasn't like we were just doing one thing. Um, I just think we had timely, timely mistakes, uh, you know, at critical moments. Um, and, um, you know, again, a season high missed tackle. So you, know, you, 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 com- you combine that with, uh, with some, uh, some other things and it just, you know, it wasn't, wasn't our day. So we, we got to, Rally here, get back, and uh, got a big division game here this weekend. Lou, how much of what of what you know the Jets were able to do yesterday? Do you look at and say, obviously teams are going to use this as a blueprint to try to do against us in this future? Was that a unique set of circumstances in, in the way that game played out? Um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a combination of both. What you're talking about, you know, we got, we got a bunch of different things certainly early in the game. You know, double passes, reverse passes, uh, really specials. Uh, you know, we got a lot of stuff. And then they just settled into, you know, a, a timely run here or there. But as I mentioned, you know, the backs accounted for, I think, 169 yards uh, in the pass game. Um, so, you know, there's there's certainly things we can do better there. And uh, I, will, will, I know we will going forward. This might be along the same lines, but what was different about the screen game yesterday? The Jets, I mean, I think I looked it up. They had had five, run about five halfback screens all year and had five of them against you guys yesterday. They were obviously successful. What were they able to do? Was that kind of surprising how much they utilized that? They had, um, yeah, they had had 55 yards, I believe, on screens yesterday. And again, it's a matter of, uh, you know, you fit the screen just kind of like you fit the run game. And, and, uh, you know, we got the guys up front, got to sniff it out better. They got us in a call one time that wasn't uh, great. We had a bunch of guys with their backs turned. So, um, again, I think it's just a combination of, um, a little bit more awareness. Um, and then, uh, you know, once we see it, just going to get it and recognizing it. And, uh, again, getting them up, getting it on the ground. You know, the one at the end was just getting it on the ground. So. When you have a game like that, what what are you looking for on Monday when the guys come in? Are you are you do you want to see a pissed off group or do you want kind of the opposite, just in the turn the page mode? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I thought I thought that um, I just uh, was made aware. I saw and then I looked at. It, I saw Jesse and uh, Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd all go to the podium yesterday as a group. I think that sends uh, tells you a little bit about. Uh, these guys and that, uh, you know, from accountability standpoint, and you know, nobody wants to go out there and make error. Nobody, me included, you know, um, and, and these guys are, are a group that's full of uh, pride and wanting to do well for each other. So I think we had a combination of both today, guys, you know, just, uh, you know, get looking forward to uh, put, put learning from this one. You know, you can't just say, hey, let's just move on. You know, you got to learn from it, correct what we made error made error on and then put all our focus uh, once they left the building today is, is squarely on the divisional game against the Browns. It looked like you guys can fix this stuff. I know that's kind of a, that's always a debate. Well, 
you know, you can't fix talent, you can't fix scheme. But it looks like the stuff that happened to you on Sunday looks like looks like it's at least fixable. Yeah, again, you know, I, I just think it, it starts with just the fundamentals of, uh, you know, uh, tackling. And again, when you miss the season high and they have uh, an inordinate amount of yards after catch and contact, you know, that's going to, that's going to, it's going to affect you. And, um, you know, we did not do a good job on third down. Um, you know, there was very few third and, you know, normally we, we've been doing a really good job on first and second down of getting the offense behind the sticks. And we did not do that yesterday for whatever reason. So, um, you know, again, all those areas we addressed with the guys this morning, uh, and this afternoon. And, um, you know, like I said, now we're, we're on the, on, on to, uh, what the Cleveland Browns will present to us and, and, uh, our guys know the challenges that lie ahead. So. I think they're looking forward to it. All right. Uh, that was Luana Rumo on our uh, conference call on Monday after the game. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, the players got to play better. You know, and I, I, I always, like, I know we overreact to stuff like this about coaches should just blame themselves over and over again. And now oh, I got to do better. And I, you know, there should be some of that, you know. I there needs to be some of that. That felt a lot of like these players, man. They got to tackle, you know. And I, I don't know. There's a there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of shifting blame. And there's I mean there's some look. I got I think of things I can do better or whatever. But there certainly were a lot of wide open five to ten yard throws for a guy who's looking to make five to ten yard throws. Over and 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 over again to the point of four hundred five yards. To me, uh, we can talk about tackling all you want, and that's part of it. But the other part of it is why is this so easy, and why is it the same thing over and over again? And I wonder if part of it goes is the Joe Burrow effect, where the the Bengals' offense wasn't great that day, but you mentioned it, they had an eleven point lead in the fourth quarter. There was there was always that feeling that you know make them go the distance, make them throw over and over and over underneath and, and make them earn it. And then our offense will just go back and match them. And we'll, we'll, we'll take a, a shootout win and get out of here as opposed to if you're, if your offense is struggling and the jets jump on top of you by double digits with that type of offense, then maybe you're, there's more urgency to react and, and abandon the game plan and try to do something different. I just, I, I wonder, I, I, I kind of kick myself now that you don't, that we didn't ask Lou about that yesterday was, was how much of kind of, and he even said that we didn't do just one thing. Um, but the, the, how much of sticking with that game plan was the belief in the offense more so than the belief that the plan on defense was eventually going to work. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Um, I don't know why you would think the plan would suddenly start to work, though. It hadn't worked all game. I mean, the only thing yeah. that worked was they bounced one off a dude's face, and then you had a deflection for an interception. I mean, that's it. You you got a couple of turnovers. They they stopped themselves, or they went all the way for the most part. You know, especially obviously late in the game, they did too. It's, it would have worked if not for the Joe Burrow interception, and we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. The thing is about missed tackles and all the underneath stuff, let's talk about the Browns. 
they are the best. I, I think they're the best screen team in football. They certainly were early in the year. They had some injuries that, that sidetracked. I mean, they were killing people with screens between tight end, wide receiver, and obviously Nick Chubb, and then it was Kareem Hunt too. Chubb is back now. They have a, a bunch of injuries that have kind of derailed some of that. But they're still top four in all pretty much all screens if you if you look at production off screens. I mean, you got over 10 yards per, things like that. You thought the Jets were making it look easy? Wait till you see what Nick Chubb looks like in space like that, okay? You're going to miss a whole lot of tackles. And so I think it's going to be a key thing to watch this week. You don't think Kevin Stefanski and everybody in Cleveland sitting there watching that being like, well, we're going to test that, and we're going to keep going to it until they prove that they can stop it because we're great at that, and it looks like they stink at it. So um, I think it's going to end up being tested immediately, whether they can get that right or not, um, with not just the screens but all the underneath stuff because they've got guys that can really exploit it. And they've got a quarterback that you know has struggled to throw it down the field. That's, that's their wheelhouse, the misdirection, the bootlegs, you know, Baker's got the sore shoulder. I don't know how much pain there. It's his left one. I don't know how much pain there is in throwing the ball deep, but they've just they've not been able to do much down the field. That this is this is their wheelhouse, and it hits Bengals right in their weakness. It's it's that's a bad combination. Um, it I, I do think that they're going to look what the the Jets did and, and and try to follow that, but not solely. I mean, this is. It's just it's just their game plan. It's who the Browns are, and you're right. They are they have to be licking their chops because it's not just the the physical part of making the tackle once you're there. It's it's exploiting some young linebackers' eyes and, and getting them flowing the wrong way with the misdirections with with the boots. There's there's a lot of potential there for this to be kind of a disaster game for this defense. That the Jets were saying we're going to go after these linebackers. Mm-hmm. That was their plan, whether between the crossers. I mean, you saw it in like the first play of the game. Guys just crossing free all day, um, all the underneath stuff, forcing missed tackles, forcing these guys to go sideline to sideline. Look, it's not hard to see. Defensive line looks really good. Their their defensive backs look, look really good. The linebackers, Logan Wilson has certainly made big plays, but that's where they're most susceptible. So teams are going to continue to put these linebackers to the test. We've praised them to this point, um, but they had a real bad day against the Jets, and we're going to see how many more teams try to focus solely on exposing them going forward. A lot of eyes on them. Um, Before before we get to – I want to get to Mo here in a second. Let's talk about the play. Because you get down to thirty-one twenty, and everything should have worked. Our, our, the tone of everything would be so should feel so different if really one play doesn't happen. The Burrow interception, you know, and because let's they they score. It's when it's thirty-one to twenty with seven twenty-four left. That should be ball game. Jay, you got the numbers. I know you got the stats on that. You ran this for me. We were texting yesterday. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to do it exactly. I found win probability on it via ESPN's GameCast, but you went all the way in on the Bengals. Yeah, in the Zach Taylor era, the, the Bengals had previously had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter nine times, and they were 9-0 and in those games. And now that, that includes you know, games that you're winning handily at the end of the game, but still any any point in the fourth quarter, double digit lead, nine and zero under Zach. Going back to two thousand and six, 
the Bengals were 74-1 and one in their last 75 games in which they owned a double-digit fourth-quarter lead. You just don't see teams blowing double-digit leads, and not just the Bengals. League-wide, this year alone, teams are 80-5 and five when, well, they, they were 80-4 and four when owning a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. It's just... You you talk about, you know, you do see teams make comebacks from time to time, and there's these wow, what a game kind of things. But typically, if you get up double digits in the fourth quarter, you win the game. If you get up double digits in the fourth quarter against a team with one win, you absolutely should win the game. Yeah, that goes to show something crazy has to happen. And, yep. and really, if you, you know, the Bengals get the ball – and have that first down up 31 to 26 with four and some change left. And, you know, even if you go three and out, the Jets have all their timeouts. Even if you go three and out and kick, you're still forcing them to go the length of the field in under four minutes, which they probably could and would have and weren't really being stopped most of the day. But you're still forcing them to make a whole lot of plays and not have one go off a face mask or get stripped or get bounced off, you know, away when you know that they're passing it, whatever. Does that change? I don't know. But even if you go three and out there and punt, you are forcing a whole lot more uh, degree of difficulty on the Jets. The only thing that couldn't happen is what happened. And that's why I sort of asked Zach Taylor yesterday about that moment and the idea behind that drive and that play. Because the play is a weird – it's such a – we've seen them run that before. In fact, it's the play they ran for Jamar Chase's first ever completion in a preseason game against Tampa, that fake pitch uh, screen to the other side. And you know, you just leave Shaq – Shaq Lawson, I, the, the design apparently is to not touch the defensive end and just assume he's going to bite on the pitch and throw it on the side of him. Except – when you've run it before, mm-hmm. when it's on tape, uh, obviously he had some had done his done his homework or was thinking about it because he's all over it. That Taylor said, "Look, it's kind of like one in a one fifty chance that the defensive end is going to be able to make that play," and so he didn't view it as a risky call. But it seemed odd to me as it seemed higher risk, and it seems high risk when you watch that happen. Obviously, but it does. Doing a, I mean, he even called it, it's kind of just a blind turn and throw. Like, that just sounds dangerous. You shouldn't be doing anything <laughs> blind in that spot to me. You know, that feels like the time you really should use your eyes, you know, to avert disaster because that's the only thing that hurts you. And, and being aggressive in that spot is great. And it's easy to take issue in hindsight. I understand that this is a lot of MMQB here, but calling a play that's some sort of a blind throw assuming safety seems like the one thing you shouldn't be doing you should be trusting the instincts of your quarterback to throw it away if you need to or or whatever and i, I that was not that play call and, and and it backfired on him yeah i mean it's it's one thing to to have that kind of blind faith if you know you're you're counting on your left tackle to take care of the end. But if you're going to leave him, if you're just intentionally not going to block a guy that it's just, it's so risky to just wheel around and throw. And we saw earlier in the game, I, I, maybe Burrow's most impressive throw was 
it was kind of a similar fake toss one way he turns around and there's a guy right in his face just like this one and he makes an incredible throw to Tyler Boyd and you, I mean it's you almost wonder what was was in Burrow's mind when he he pivots and he sees Shaq Lawson there that he I'm already in my throwing motion I got to let it go anyhow or I can get it around him kind of like he did on the throw to Boyd but it is you in that situation it would just seem the smarter play to 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 see that to see him there and and not make the throw even a sack there is obviously better than than that interception and the other thing is you know Burrow said he just made a great play it's one thing to bat down a pass but to bat it straight up in the air and then pick it off that's what makes it even rarer um but it it was it was it was a designed to be a safe play and it ended up being anything that but that Oh, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, the idea the idea that a guy is going to bat it into the air and intercept it, I mean, it's rare. And there's a certain point, there's risks inherent in every single play that you run, even if you just hand it to Joe Mixon up the middle and try to avoid a strip. But if you're tackled for a loss, whatever. I mean, it, but it, it's easy. It's I understand it's easy to look back in hindsight. But, you know, to me, I think you also have to have sense of, trying to avert disaster and anything that involves the word blind throw. I just, (laughs) just felt like maybe, but that's it. That's the difference. Like when you talk about 74 and one, it's 74 times avoiding a play like that. And also maybe having a defense that could get the occasional stop or just, you know, let them complete 10 yard passes and keep running. All of that's part of, but that, I mean, they did, they pulled that off in four minutes. So, Again, it happens fast, and we've talked a lot about, you know, what this means in the big picture, this defense, things like that. But inevitably, this team had to be beat on a 74-1 to shot to lose this game. And if you now look, there are three losses, all by three points, one to Aaron Rodgers and a wind all over the South Bank. The Bears game, they got beat up, but still, they lose by three. They have... Trey Hendrickson with Justin Fields in his arms uh, away from getting the ball back there to try to come down and win it. And this, a 74-1 to shot. You'll take this. It's the NFL, guys. You're 5-3, and three and you've gotten beaten in those three ways. Now, you've also won some that were close, but still. Uh, you you got to take that into account that these types of things will happen. I, I don't think this is a jump off the bridge. No one will care. This is so reminiscent of the Bears game, Jay. Oh, yeah. No one will care about this Jets game if you beat the Browns. You'll be six and three. You start three and the division. You're going to your bye. You're gonna hit the you're gonna kick your feet up. No one will care. And they and they went out and after you wrote about this, after their losses, they have come back with some of their best performances of the year. Now you say no one will care, and you're right in the in the immediate. But you wrote about this that at the end of the year, if they're a game short of winning the division or making the playoffs or who knows, pie in the sky, getting the number one seed, uh, then people are going to start caring about this Jets loss again because it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, it does. When you get beat by a seventy-four to one shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you miss something by one game, it's hard not to look back on that. But as far as momentum and positivity about the team and the fan base and all that stuff and having everything in front of you, um, 
it, it means it, it won't feel as big of a deal when you if you come back and you follow it up like you followed up the last two losses. And in that way, I think it just feels a lot like that Bears game where you had a lot of issues, you were trying to figure out how to fix them, didn't play well, and you had to go play a division rival. And, and, and there's a lot of similarities to this. We'll see if they perform the same way against the Browns at home as they did at Pittsburgh in that win. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's bring in Mo Egger. It's about that time. So here's uh, ESPN 1530's Mo Egger for our tweet segment. Just got this voyeuristic nature to me. Oh, my God. Mo, what's up? How are we doing, guys? What's happening? Oh, not too much. Very excited uh, to, I'm sure, as you have been to discuss the Jets game. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure the show with uh, Tony Pike. You guys do at Twin Peaks on Monday went went well and didn't have any blood pressure boiling. It was lively. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, do people stop showing up when when the, yeah, when that, the results that, bad? That you was guys sort were of kind a, of growing a little following there. We were. We were. We were sort of a little gag. We had our our buddy Austin Elmore, who uh, produces Tony's show, and you hear all the time had come to the previous two shows and he claims to be this huge Bengals fan. And then he told us before the show, like minutes before the show, guys, I'm not coming. So we sort of mocked him for kind of jumping off the bandwagon. But yeah, there's, there's always a little bit of that, right? There's always, but there's a little bit of that in your everyday life. Yes. You know, I mean, there's, and I'm, I'm all in favor of bandwagon fans. I support bandwagon fans. Bandwagon fans are the lifeblood of sport, but it's, it is always interesting to me how quickly some jump. And uh, sometimes it's reflected in the attendance of remote radio broadcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the pulse of exactly. Bengals fandom. Yeah, it's when you really judge if you've won the fan base is what it looks right. like at Twin Peaks at 3 o'clock on a Monday. Uh, yeah. Jay, you got the stats? I do. Speaking of jump, Mo said how high. Um, I'm, I'm really <laughs> pleased that our sit down with him and we put him on a performance <laughs> improvement plan. Yep. And he came through with 146 tweets Whoa, last week. Wow. More Whoa. than a 50% increase. <laughs> what was I what a week for you. Numbers are way up. And the thing is, as I was like getting ready to do this, I was thinking, God, my numbers have been down. I didn't really tweet all that much. Apparently the opposite was true. <laughs> you just, you tweet so much. You don't even realize it. I mean, that's, that's when you know you're special when it's just instinctual. You're not thinking about it out there. You're just that's running off That's not a instinct. place you want to be. That's that's not a plateau you want to reach. Uh, well, let's discuss uh, two of them. The first one, I'll start with the game. Um, it is one I always love when I can give you the time like this. Uh, it was 4.38 on Sunday. Right uh, before trick-or-treating. Right in between <laughs> the game and trick-or-treating. Yeah, you're, yeah. You said the last 2.05 of the first half won't be talked about enough. Mm-hmm. I, one, agree with you. Two... Would like to give you the opportunity to talk about it enough. Maddening. Not that you don't have it, enough airtime. No, it, it opened the damn door to the Jets, man. And yes. so uh, I should have, I wanted to reference because everybody watched, well, everybody on Twitter watches the Manning cast. I don't think anybody who's not on Twitter watches the Manning cast. But so last <laughs> week they had Tom Brady. It's it's ridiculous. Like if you go on Twitter and say, hey, I'm watching Levy, Riddick and uh, Greasy. They're like, what are you doing? And then the numbers come out and everybody watch Levy, Riddick and Greasy. But anyway, so I'm watching the Manning cast and Tom Brady's on and he starts talking about the middle eight minutes. Right. And I'm like, great. Now, like every football head is going to start beating down my throat. The last uh, the middle eight minutes of the game last four of the first half first four of the second half. But that really was such a, a big part of the game for the Bengals. Uh, they they get the ball after the fumble and you feel like you have a chance to score a touchdown. Um, it, stop them on defense and get the ball back to start the second half when you're already leading. And yet they got outscored seven to three during that stretch. 
They had the ball at the New York three yard line, couldn't score. And then they give up a touchdown and then they don't score to start the second half. Uh, that was a chance to maybe go up 28 to seven and the jets aren't coming back from that. I know they came back from down 11 uh, midway through the fourth quarter, but, but still they're, they're not coming back from that. And I felt in real time that that kind of flung the door open for a team with a guy making his first start at quarterback um, that to me, just that was a chance to really sort of early in the game, salt it away. And instead uh, they let the, that's, that's the quintessential moment where I felt like, all right, here's the team, the bad team, the inferior team hanging around. And it wasn't that they didn't move the ball again. They got inside the five yard line. And even then they kicked the field goal and you feel like, all right, the way this defense has played all year long, they're not going to give up a touchdown uh, to Mike white. And yet after a pretty good kickoff return, that's exactly what they did. And then, okay, fine, score a touchdown to start the second half. Let's play from up 10. Going to feel pretty good. I think they ran five plays. They got to the 50. They don't go for it on fourth down after going for it on fourth down from inside the five earlier in the game. So you have inconsistency there. That stretch, as much as we could focus on the Mike Hilton call, as, as much as we can focus on all the things that went wrong in the final you know, seven or eight minutes, that to me really set the tone for what would, what would ultimately unfold uh, later in the afternoon. All right, let's just take a quick break. When good teams play bad teams, the difference in there being an upset happens in the early in the first half of the game. It's mm-hmm. it's about crushing belief with gate win games like this. When you have when you have five and two versus one and five, and that is solely about crushing belief. If you don't crush belief, you will be in one to the end, like every NFL game is. Mm-hmm. And you know when you do crush belief early, then you can just absolutely run away with it and put on your baseball hats potentially late in the game. But that's mm-hmm. those are the two options. If you don't do it, if you let them hang around and you let them believe they can get one, then it's scary because then you've got the wounded animal that thinks they're finally going to get that win that they've been searching for for forever. And I think that's exactly what happened to this team, despite the fact they were still up thirty-one twenty with seven twenty-four left. Yeah, I I felt the way I I think Steelers fans probably felt that week 15 game last year where you let a bad team hang around. Now, that Steelers team maybe had all sorts of issues that, you know, ultimately bubbled over uh, when they got to the postseason. But yeah, I mean, you let a bad team hang around. You subject yourself to wacky things happening and wacky things happen in the fourth quarter. The Mike Hilton uh, uh, penalty, uh, the Joe Burrow interception on a play design that was just weird. Uh, they they gave the Jets an opportunity. And, you know, I mean, you could also talk about how comfortable they seemingly felt like they should let Mike White be. I mean, they let the welcome mat out for the guy. Like, hey, welcome to the NFL. Would you like to complete some passes? Here you go. Get some confidence. But, <laughs> but yeah, again, 14 to 7. They hadn't played great. You got the ball. You got Burrow. You get inside the five. Score a touchdown. Get a stop. Score three coming out of the second half. And I'll take my chances from there. I t- I'll take my chances from that point. And, and when they didn't get it done in real time, it felt like, uh oh, we're going to come back and revisit that sequence. And well, I did. Fair enough. I, was, it, I thought it was interesting. I was talking to Connor Hughes, our Jets writer at, at halftime, and, and he, he felt the same way that the Bengals just had more talent and they were going to blow them out in the second half. He said that with Mike White, the thing about getting pressure that he said it was the same scheme they ran with Zach Wilson, but Zach Wilson would hold on to the ball and move around and, and hope and wait for someone to come open deeper. And Mike White wasn't doing that. He was just first guy he saw open underneath. He was going after him. I think that's why 
the Bengals didn't blitz as much because he was getting rid of the ball so quick and they didn't think they could get to him. But it was, it, it did, it, it, it felt like that, that again, we talked, there was a number of things, things that the Bengals have done well all year. They didn't do well. And that, that end of the first half was one of them. You talked about it. Go get a score, get a stop. I didn't even think they needed the stop. I thought they could have bled that clock out and got the mm-hmm. score right at the end of the, and gone into halftime, getting the ball out and, and taking that huge lead. And you're right. That was, it, it felt pivotal when they only got three at that point. Yeah. I mean, you can't get outscored in that situation. No. E- even if you leave some time on the clock uh, for the other team to score, you can't get outscored. I mean, I, I would have bet a lot of money. They've got the football, whatever, how much time there was, 205, 230, whatever. And they're they're not going to get outscored here. They may not increase their lead, but they're not going to get outscored. And when they did, uh, again, it, it felt like a blown opportunity. And it was the antithesis of what we've seen all year long, which this team has typically closed out halves really, really well. But then even, again, you get the ball to start the second half, you get to the 50, and we're punting. I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't like that. I, I didn't like anything about it. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, they had an 11 point lead, seven minutes to go. Felt pretty confident. They were going to be able to seal it and didn't get the job done. And there's a lot to discuss there. There's a lot to discuss, you know, about the way they played throughout the afternoon. And, and you guys have covered it in great detail already. But, but for me, the, you know, just sort of the, the, the sequence in the game that stuck in my crawl after I uh, ate half of my kids candy on Sunday night was <laughs> that, you know, middle eight minutes, if you will. Uh, you know, something that, that we, that I also noticed that we need to bring to light is a, a tweet you sent. Now you guys got to go UC played at Tulane uh, on, on Saturday and uh, the normal trip that you guys made down in New Orleans, which is always it's the, the one benefit of having Tulane in your conference really is at Except least you played them at 11 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at nobody, least, at nobody least, in New Orleans get... is awake at 11 a.m., including <laughs> Cincinnati's football team. <laughs> you get, you do get to go to New Orleans, even if it's, yeah. even if it's with a little bit of uh, an an issue of staying up late or hangover. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But on the trip there, you sent a tweet out yeah. that was, "This is what sitting on the bus next to Meg Coffee is like. What a great <laughs> conversationalist." <laughs> And it was a picture of May Coffee, who who does video production and SID work, really do it all. Her technical title everything. is director yes. strateg- strategic brand engagement at UC. Um, and boy, you you I mean, you guys have been friends forever. Um, mm-hmm. It was also accompanying this text was a picture of her texting where mm-hmm. you could see the text conversation that she was having with someone. This felt like a violation of personal <laughs> rights, Mo. It did. I didn't really consider that. I was bored. I was uh, looking for a reason to poke away at Meg, which is something that a lot of us uh, in our group of friends really enjoy doing. Meg has been at UC for seven years. She's in the hierarchy of people at UC who are great at their jobs. It's Luke Fickle one, Meg Coffee two. So, I mean, that's that's how much I, I think of her. But uh, I was bored. I enjoy kind of making fun of Meg. Um and so typically when I'm bored and I want to make fun of somebody, here comes the phone. Let's tweet. So it didn't occur to me. Two things did not occur to me. One didn't occur to me that I would, you know, um, I guess, capture whatever she was trying to text, leaving for creepoids out there, you know, like Jay. Uh, <laughs> say creepoids. One of them is Jay, who admitted it immediately. Subjecting herself to people like trying to see what she was texting. And then I forgot that she took a photo of me sleeping on the plane, which you talk about creepy. 
like now, see, this is a part of like group travel, whether you're traveling with like a group of buddies or in a setting like we travel with with UC. Those of us who like to sleep on planes, you can't because somebody's going to take a picture of you and it's a big ha ha. And then everybody gets a good laugh at the guy sleeping because apparently everybody else just looks like a peaceful princess when they sleep. So <laughs> her, her comeback to me was a picture of me sleeping on the plane, which I'm not embarrassed. I was sleeping. What, how, how do you guys look when you're sleeping? I mean, I, I, don't, I yes, my mouth was open. I was sleeping. I can't control that. What are you doing? So is everybody else. But yes, uh I took the A on that one. I'll admit it. But uh, yeah, I, I just I, I enjoyed making fun of Meg. And again, boredom and easy, typically easy target uh, usually means tweet. And it did for me on Saturday. I just wasn't ready for the I wasn't ready for the comeback. I'm really glad that I couldn't read her. I mean, I tried. I zoomed in and I tried to read what she that's just I've just got this voyeuristic nature to me when, when oh we were young when we, when we were younger uh my my dad got us a telescope and we lived on a hill and i spent more time looking into neighbors windows than i did uh, at stars and i never never saw anything fun what? it was just kind of a i i blame it on watching the movie 10 um and you know you, you know that we're recording online, this jay right there's online <laughs> right. registries that have people listed who do something similar if you don't want people to look in shut your window shut your blinds <laughs> <laughs> wow but i i'm glad because i once i zoomed in i was like i hope this isn't anything bad i hoped for your sake because i didn't want I, I would not have divulged what it said if i could have read it but yeah. i'm sure i wasn't the only one so i was glad that it was you could tell there were words there you could tell the length of the text but you I, you couldn't read it maybe someone out there has enhancement photo software that would go to that length but yes i was i i felt bad for doing it but i had to do it I uh, the 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 opportunity I had for comeuppance was very fleeting and I missed it because when the game ended on Saturday, we all get on the bus to go back to the airport and I'm sitting across the aisle from Meg and they give everybody a, a bag of food. And in this case, it was Popeye's. It was a Popeye sandwich and you know mashed potatoes and stuff and people are devouring it. I did. And Meg is with her laptop and she's got this bag of food and it's all her face is almost in it because I think she was just looking to see what else was in there. And I couldn't like I, I just I was struggling to get the phone and <laughs> that was going to be my shot. And I, I missed it. So much like the Bengals on Sunday, I, I missed a, a golden opportunity. Well, I don't know um, if we'll have edited this out or not, but Jay admitted I've always had Please. a voyeuristic nature, and <laughs> yeah. I just want to make maybe we need to clip that off and just save that, <laughs> or we need to delete that permanently. I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily mean. Per I just like you seeing said you were peering in people's windows with a telescope. <laughs> well, it wasn't like. <laughs> I mean, it was my friends that lived in the neighborhood. It wasn't the oh, parents' now bedroom. Oh, it's your friends. Okay. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Would you inform your friends the next day? Yes, I saw you. I saw you. I, I'd call him and say, what are you studying? Because I'd see him oh, sitting yeah. there doing homework at the desk, and I'd call him up on the phone and be like, hey, what are you studying right now? And they're like, what are you talking about? Those are some uh, nice pajamas you had on last night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you oh, had, to, I see you had dessert to, at nine thirty. <laughs> this is supposed to be where we give Mo a hard time, and Jay, you turned it on yourself. So somebody hey. was up late watching TV. I mean, what? <laughs> wow. Uh, on that note, Mo, I will let you get out of here. Close your blinds. Uh, and that's for you and everyone in Hamilton, really, as a, as just a note for future reference. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys. Thanks. All right. Always great to catch up with Mo. 
And uh, I, won't, I won't go any further into <laughs> what was said on there. I feel like we should let it go and just let the lawyers take care of it, Jay. Hey, I, I think there's a statute of limitations <laughs> here, so I feel safe. Oh, uh, no doubt. Uh, I want to I wanna talk about a couple more topics, then we'll get into Bengals growler bet and run past our boots. Um, one thing that Zach Taylor said on Monday, and I think what we've been waiting for for a while now, is the idea of teams are eventually going to focus on taking Jamar Chase away. And we saw the Jets do that. Uh, and the coach said, look, they were hell-bent on making sure Chase wasn't going to beat him, especially over the top. Clouds, double coverage, all the stuff you'd kind of been waiting to see. And you know, we joked about how Joe Burrow was like, I hope people don't ever start doing that because it's great right now. And teams hadn't really done it to that point too much. I think after watching what he did to Marlon Humphrey, I think the realization of Robert Sala was, uh, okay, let's let's make sure this guy doesn't beat us. Let's make these other guys do it. And what did you see? You saw T. Higgins break out. You saw Tyler Boyd have a nice game. You saw Joe Mixon in the pass game do really well. You know, obviously the big throwback was the big play, but he had some other nice plays in the pass game, including uh, one touchdown and one could have been touchdown but you know you you end up with these other guys taking advantage of the opportunities and they did i don't think there's no coincidence that that happened um t higgins kind of talked about that after the game of of you know it was nice to be involved but i think it's a direct result of okay here's the first team to really sell out on stopping jamar chase and you get a bunch of targets and production from the others it's what they talked about all preseason, you, you know, the the 4K, you know, four guys with a 1,000 yards, mixing, rushing, and then Boyd, Higgins, Chase receiving. And you hadn't really seen that yet from from T. Higgins. And that was – it was a good sign. There was the, the long kind of post that he caught for 56 and then that one down the sideline where the prototypical T. Higgins catch where you go up and you win a contested ball. And he did that so much last year, and you've been waiting for – 2021 T Higgins to look like 2020. I, I think if there's if there is one bright spot that that came out of that game, that was it. That they they finally got him going. And and I meant to look this up, and maybe I'm wrong, but there was like one of the touchdown drives. Uh, Higgins, Chase, and Boyd all caught passes, and I don't mm-hmm. know how often that's happened this year. It seems like. One guy kind of gets hot on a specific drive or, you know, obviously you have short drives because all the deep balls to chase. <clears throat> it really felt like that was the the best instance of what we've seen all year of, of Burrow spreading it around to all the weapons, getting everybody involved. Chase, not so much because they were putting so much focus on him, but he still had a touchdown. Um, Should have had two. Um, but that, yes, that if teams are going to do that, that's how they have to react. And um, I, I thought that was a, a big part of, of Sunday's loss was seeing T. Higgins emerge and season high ninety seven yards. You know, and and that what they were not short on explosives, and that's the thing is your teams are going to say, okay, we're going to take Chase away because we want to take the explosive play away. If you still get those from the others, it doesn't matter. You have a fifty four, a forty six, a twenty six, a twenty one, and a twenty one, and a and a nineteen. But you you have, you have all those. You have you have five plays of twenty plus yards, and two of forty five plus, and a lot of that comes from finding other ways to play off of that stuff. Jay, you you had some stats, uh, as you do, 
in in final thoughts about the amount of explosive plays and it is wild how explosive this for for a year that we spent every day in training camp tracking are they ever going to hit a deep ball <laughs> will this team be able to be explosive and fix the deep pass this could be the best team for that in Bengals history and it well they're tied for first right now in the league with 20 24 plays of 24 pass plays of 25 yards or more the the record for the Bengals is 37. They're they're well on their way to that. They're they're on pace right now for 51 of those types of plays. So yes, it's it's happening, and and a lot of it's chase, but it's not all chase. It's and we saw it on on Sunday. It wasn't chase. None of them were. So two of them were Higgins, and one was the throwback from Boyd to Mixon. If if you can do that, if you're in the category with the Buccaneers and the Cardinals as the most explosive offenses in the league. You'll take that. It, the, the defense can miss some tackles from here, from time to time. I mean, there's no doubt they are. They they can strike in a second, and, and to you know to be to be hitting deep explosive plays at that kind of a rate will always keep you in a game. You'll never feel out of it. You feel like there's plays you can go to, and you've got confidence going to them down the field. And teams are scared of that. Um, I thought that was a pretty, you know, that's a really good, I don't care. That's a good Jets defense. I mean, their front is real. They had mm-hmm. youth in the secondary, which is hurting them. Um, but their, their, their youth is still playing pretty well. Robert Sal is an incredible coordinator. Those dudes up front, anybody would take them. Um, and you know, that's without Carl Lawson. I mean, they've got real guys up front that one of the better fronts they face and, and maybe a common thread bears jets, maybe not great teams, but those big fronts have given them trouble at, t- at times yet. They still posted 31 on them. There's some help from some shorter fields, but really just one. They even didn't take advantage of the other one could have been more. Yeah. I, I don't really have a problem with the offensive performance in this game outside of obviously the one interception that you can't have late, but. Um, it's a good Jets defense, and, and I think being able to spread the ball around like they did, get explosive plays like they did, they didn't run it like they'd like to, but still to be able to put up those kind of points, um, I don't I don't look at that as a bad a, a bad offensive game. Um, I want to do a just a quick state of the AFC. We can just touch on this. Maybe we can get more into it uh, on Thursday. Um, guys, look, it's so wide open. It's it. The Bills have kind of this head up advantage. I think people think they've looked better. I don't know that they've really been tested totally yet. Um, by the real best teams, the other best teams in the league, we'll see more of that for them coming forward. It's just a jumbled mess. Anybody that thinks they know the difference between the second best team and the seventh or eighth best team in the AFC right now is lying. They don't. It's 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 minuscule, and it's who's going to put put it together. Who's going to get hot down the stretch? And now you have this Derrick Henry injury that okay, you're going to maybe start to believe in the Titans, and they lose a guy who's the absolute focal point of their attack. They're going to try to bring in Adrian Peterson, I guess, to try to help fix that i mean that's you just can't replicate that guy and you see these things in the north is wide open we're going to see more about that on sunday with baker mayfield and his injury and there's just it's just wide open so as much as you can bemoan it and be everything is right there because no one this ain't like the nfc where you've got this big five and everybody else is just kind of off the radar um it's just wide open right now. Everybody has flaws. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I was looking at this. I was kind of taking the – it works in the NFL too, but I was taking the, the MLB trade deadline approach and like who are the sellers based on how far out they are. And in the NFC, there's only three teams that are more than one game out of the number seven seed. In the AFC, there's five teams that are more than a game out of that final seed. But at the top, everybody – you know, you've got that hierarchy in the NFC. In the, in the AFC, it's just, just a jumbled mess. And it's another reason why I, I, I don't see them making a, a trade because I just don't know that, number one, they don't like to do it. But number two, who's the trade partner? Everybody feels like even though those te- there's five teams more than a game out, I think there's a lot of teams that those teams include the Colts who were a play away from beating the Titans who are now the number one seed in the AFC on Sunday. So I, I think – you're you're not going to find as many sellers as as maybe you think you would, and it's anything can happen in in this AFC. I mean, the Bengals went from the one seed to the five in in one week, and that's going to happen because you if you're no longer in first place in your division, the best you can be is five. But yeah, it's this is it would be a good run, Pastor Boot. How many teams will hold the number one seed from now <laughs> until the end of the season? Because there, it could be four or five. It, that could change every single week. It has changed. Each of the last yeah. four weeks, you've seen the, the team that's basically the top team in the AFC get beat and sometimes beat handily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what? they went from the Chargers were the team of the moment, and, and then the Ravens smacked them, and the Ravens were the team of the moment, and the Bengals smacked them, and the Bengals were the team of the moment, and the Jets <laughs> beat them. It's like this is just kind of the way it's going to be, I think. It's going to be a bunch of teams beating up and – the, the most direct path for the Bengals will be the one that they take another step towards on Sunday, and that's trying to win the AFC North and seeing where they land. Uh, as, as Joe Burrow said in that video last week, if we can win this division, we can win it all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because you get in, you feel like you survived a, a, a tough division, uh, you're ready, and you'll be in the tournament, and you'll have a chance to see what can happen. Uh, you mentioned a good run passer boot. I get We got a good run passer boot to dive into. This week, this from at Fultonator. Thank you, and also Fultonator, one of the one of the only people I believe that we found uh, on Twitter that picked Mike White to outpass uh, <laughs> Joe Burrow uh, for last week's run, um, Bengals Growler bet. So so good on you. He um, spoke it, was, it into existence. He did speak it. In. You can blame this guy, right? <laughs> um, but this is a great one, Pastor Root, that I really enjoyed. Thank you for the submission. Um, which who will be the first to win their first playoff game? Joe Burrow, AJ Green, Giovanni Bernard. A good one. A good one. Uh, it is. Bengals past, present, and future. So we, I think the run is easy here, right? I think it is. Don't you? Is Gio? Right. Yeah. Because I mean, they're not they're not going to be the number one seed. So they're going to be playing wild card weekend and they're going to be in and they're going to be favored. That's just it, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that the isn't that the the twist here? Assuming yeah. they'll they'll be the, the Bucks could definitely be the number one seed. Well, if they are, then it wouldn't be Geo because he would have a week off. And that's my point. The- this is the twist on this. I like this. I'm actually just as I'm talking through it more, I'm kind of Seeing the the evil genius in this at Fultonator. <laughs> uh, 
Burrow could be playing the opening weekend more than likely. AJ Green could be playing the opening weekend more than likely. Hopefully paying attention to the pass coming to his back shoulder. <laughs> Which one would be more likely to win? Would they get it done a wild card weekend? Or do you just count on Geo as look, the Bucks are probably going to win one, and that's most likely. Maybe Fultonator speaks this into existence. We have super wild card weekend now. You have three mm. games in a day. What if all three of them win on the same day? Then it comes down to the time slots. Who got the win first? There's the Monday night game now, too. Yeah. Um, so, even more. I'm going to run with Geo just because I with the Bucks loss on Sunday, I, I think the Cardinals have a better chance of getting the number one seed than Tampa Bay does. Um, so, if, if they get the number one seed, that means AJ can't win on wild card weekend. So I'm going to run with Geo, pass on AJ, and boot Joe Burrow. Just, I mean, the whole never bet against a trend thing. The, the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in forever. If they get there, I, I think that's a huge uh, leap over expectations. And you know, we all we've talked forever about the window really being open next year. Um, so I, I'm not saying that the Bengals can't win a playoff game this year, but if if as we sit here today. That's the order. I'm going to go Geo, AJ, and Burrow. Okay. I'm going to switch it. I'm going to run Geo. I am going to run Geo, which I believe was his like marketing thing when he first came out. Run, Geo, run. Run, run, run Geo, run. Um, I'm going to pass Burrow for this reason. The NFC is so much tougher. I think the Cardinals, one, could be the one seed. Two, We'll have a tougher, I think, a, a a much more challenging matchup in that potential opening weekend and a harder one to win. Also, a team that has not won in the playoffs. You're, you're still wondering about a lot of guys that have not won in the playoffs there. Whereas Burrow and the Bengals, I think, could get in. And, and you might, while it might not be easy, I think there's a much more of a teams with flaws element to who they could be playing. And I, I said it when I did the prediction before the year. Sometimes you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, "Don't bet against Joe Burrow." Uh, and so, for that fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on Burrow and I'm gonna boot AJ Green and the Cardinals. All right, uh, can we get the run passer boot results from last week, Jay? Okay, yeah, we had two of them last week. We'll start with the user submitted one from Ari Wise. Um, it was margin of victory, Bengals first half points, and combined red zone snaps. Um, you ran with margin of victory, which was minus three. Um, I ran with Bengals first half points, which is 17. The winner, however, was red zone snaps combined for both teams. It was 30. Wow. The Bengals had 40 red zone snaps coming no, in, coming into the game, coming into the game. They had 17. Against the Jets. <laughs> the Jets had 23 coming into the game. They had 13 <laughs> against the Bengals. It totally flipped the script for both teams. So, yeah, margin margin didn't play out. Snap uh, The uh, points didn't play out. It was, it was red zone snaps. And then on ours, we both hit it. Um, we are run passer boot. We had Jets first quarter, first quarter points because they didn't have any all year. Jets interceptions because they didn't have any all year. But that was time seven. And Brandon Allen snaps. We both ran with Jets interceptions, and that was seven. And points was also seven. 
and Brandon Allen snaps was zero. So that one, it was a tie for first, but, but I'll give it to us. We, we yeah, both let's get, give it to us. I yeah. agree with you. Uh, also on the, uh, the Bengals growler bet results, um, it should be pointed out that almost no one we mentioned Fultonator, uh, had Mike white with more passing yards than Joe Burrow. However, T Faith 15, Tyler had the exact number correct, but did not list which quarterback you were choosing. So you know what that gets, Jay? Yep. Oh, so close. So close. Look, I could if if it was Burrow by 146, I could I could make an argument to give him the beer because that's what everybody picked. It was, it was an assumption that Burrow was going to outpass him, but no way. No way can you get the win by saying, oh, I meant to pick Mike White. I just forgot to list him. I want yeah, It was a very important element to this one. And also, yeah. you would have lost that other argument, Jay. I will tell you, I would not have been giving it if you <laughs> did not say, and it was Burrow. Sorry. I appreciate that, though. Uh, All the right, rules, uh, people. We, we, <laughs> we, uh, we will have more, of course, uh, on Thursday, previewing this Sunday's game against the Browns. Zach Jackson will join us. Uh, much more of big, big game. Uh, and then we'll, of course, have the walkout for you on Sunday night back at Paul Brown Stadium. Tickets are not cheap right now for that game. <laughs> no, my son's I think that's going to be the case the rest of the year at PBS. It's become a pretty hot ticket, and you get the normal influx of Browns fans trying to come in and everything else, and it is not cheap, but it will be packed, and it is a big game, and the AFC North is right before the bye hit. So anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you on Thursday. Have a good one, everybody. 